Welcome to the Women of Wild podcast, where we explore what it means to be a woman. We will be discussing real life challenges from being a daughter, a wife, a mother, a single mom, and beyond. We're two friends living very different lives. One is married with all girls. The other is divorced with all boys. We're perfect bookends to speak from opposite perspectives on all the things. Our mission is to search out the heart of a woman and to pour into you wherever you are with real life wisdom, actionable steps, and application of the topics we discuss to continue our self-development into a wild woman. That is a woman of wisdom, impact, love, and dignity. So let's go. Welcome to the third episode in the communication series. We've hashed out communicating with wisdom and communicating with impact. Today, we're diving into love. And as if communication was not challenging enough, we're tackling how to stay in the love mode when communicating with your friends and family. Motive. What is the motive behind your communication? Communicating with love is a posturing of the heart to be about that person and to aim toward meeting them where they are and trying to understand what they need in that moment. I have a funny story about my middle son. When he was super young, I taught him how to use sign language to communicate. So back then it was really trendy to do that and give your non-speaking children like a, a way of communicating before they could actually speak. And he took to it right away. I taught all three of my children, but my middle child really took to it. And he was very efficient at sign language by the time he was two. And my mother went to, I brought him over to my mom's house to babysit one time and he was trying to communicate with her what he wanted. And he kept using this sign and she only knew a handful of signs, not the one he was giving her. And the tension began to build because he did the sign and she would say, I don't understand what that means. You're going to have to tell me in a different way. And he would do the sign again and she wouldn't understand. And he would do the sign again. And it just built up to this huge explosion where he ended up throwing himself on the floor and pitching a beautiful two-year-old fit. And in that moment, my mom, with all the grace and love that she could muster, just started handing him things that he could have possibly been wanting. Just loved on him, tried to give him a love, tried to smile at him, tell him it was okay, handed him a cookie, like maybe he wants a cookie. I don't know the sign for cookie. Maybe that's what he wants. Turns out what he actually wanted was to go outside, which was a a sign she didn't know. And my older son was there, but he was not present for the communication part. He entered the room when the fit started and he looked down at my middle child on the ground and being two years older, he could verbally talk to my mother. And he said, huh, that looks like it hurts. I just pitched my fit standing up. <laughs> so in that moment, they experienced uh, what communication can turn into when you're just not speaking the same language. We're talking about love. And one of the books that I really impacted my life was the five love languages early in my marriage. I, I read that book and the five love languages. If you haven't heard of it or read it, they're words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service and physical touch. And we tend to have one or two of those five that are more dominant 
for ourselves. And when we love others, we tend to love others in our own language and we want them to love us in our own language. (laughs) And so I was, my husband and I were going through a pretty difficult time earlier in our marriage. Like probably a lot of people do those first years are, are tough. And I remember, I I must've heard, I can't remember where I heard of the book, but I got it from the library and I started, I think I read the whole thing in a day or two. It just, it was mind blowing to me because I'd never even thought about this concept. And I realized our love languages are completely opposite. His were acts of service and words of affirmation and mine were quality time and physical touch. And one of the cool things I learned, I remember thinking to myself, he really loves me because it didn't seem like it at the time. Because, But I, I could then see the things he was doing to try to show love and his was doing acts of service. And where we would disconnect is he would say something like, I'll watch the kids and you can go out with your friends. To him, that was an act of love, an act of service. But because my love language, the highest one was quality time, I wanted to spend time with him and the kids or time with him. So to me, that was just a rejection. You don't want to spend time with me. And that hurt at the core of my soul. Like, you don't want to be with me, so you don't love me is what my brand is saying. That was his way of trying to show love that wasn't, (laughs) we weren't speaking the same language, so wasn't connecting. And then he would ask me to do things like he really loved clean floors. And he, you know, I would spend all day on maybe creating something that we could do together later, quality time. And he'd be like, the only thing I wanted you to do was vacuum. (laughs) That was the one thing that meant something to him. And I would think, well, that doesn't, that's not a big deal. That's not important. (laughs) To me, that wasn't important, but it was to him. For me, learning that we have different things that make us feel loved. And that might've kind of morphed over the years. I, now I tell my kids, I'm like, putting your dishes in the dishwasher is my love language. (laughs) So I think I have a little bit more acts of service than I used to might kind of depend on stage of life and that sort of thing. I think we have to know these things about ourselves and we have to communicate them. Well, we're married. He should know, or I should know what we need. There's always so many assumptions of what the other person should know or should do or should understand about you. I have to learn about myself and understand who I am before I can even communicate what I need from someone else whether it's my husband or my children or whoever. That's the other thing that really was kind of mind blowing is people can't read our minds. And I, I remember thinking, well, if he loved me, he would just know, you know, I didn't know that vacuuming was so important. If it's not important to me. I'm not going to assume it's important to him. He's got to tell me that and vice versa. And there's that moment of realization, like you learned what his love language was. And even though vacuuming and putting stuff where they belong was not the highest of your values, there's that moment of deciding that it's going to be a value to you because it's a value to him. And I think that is the moment of decision of, I'm going to love you 
the way you receive love. And, and that's the love language art, the art of love language is doing it different than you always have, being willing to change the way you do things and make things important to you that weren't important to you before. And, and so when that started to transition, when you guys did that study and he understood your love language and you understood his, and I think we should, you know, also put a, a drop in here that there is a whole thing about children's love languages and the kids can do a little quiz too. But, um, so when you started learning his love language, how did that feel when he started to try to practice your love language and you started to practice his, like, I'm sure it wasn't just automatic. Can you talk about that a little bit? I would say it just kind of, I started to think when he would ask me to do something, I put a lot more um, thought into that or importance on that, even if it was something that didn't matter to me as much. I realized, okay, this this is showing love to him. This matters to him in that kind of a sense where instead of you know offering to watch the kids, it would be to plan to do something together. That meant so much to me. So I knew that you know, straightening up the house or just having certain things the way he liked them, that would mean a lot more to him than something I thought was important. And so trying to find that balance and, and making an effort to do so. Because it, it takes... It takes some thought and intention because it, it's not what I would naturally do. And I think that's important to think about too, is when something takes energy, we tend to shy away from that. Like our brain wants to go to the easiest route, which requires the least amount of energy to do anything. And when something takes extra energy, extra intention, extra um, thought, you have to work against the instinct to take the easy route because it's not the easy route. You know, you're paving a, a whole new path through very dense woods because it's not something that you've naturally done. So creating, it's almost like creating a habit to default toward that and, and being able to love Sean from that perspective and his love language was going to take time and effort and practice, which is extra. It's on top of all the other life that you're doing. So your brain is literally probably like, no, no, don't do that. That's too much energy, right? And you're having to shove back like, nope, this is intentional. I'm going to do this. We're going to make a new path through the woods and it's going to pay off. And we had to be able to communicate what we needed to. Like I, I remember saying sometimes, I need some time with you. I need that connection time. I need that quality time. I had to learn to just tell him that sometimes because that wasn't necessarily at the forethought of his brain, you know? And so learning to communicate, this is what I need. And he would say it the same too, like, I need you to do this or that. This is important to me. So I think also it's trying to do it on our own, but also if we're not, always doing it as often or whatever as we need to be to be able to voice, okay, I need, I need this from you. It sounds like Sean is pretty good at articulating his thoughts and feelings. And I don't think all men are great at that. For a man, from what I've heard, he, I, I got lucky when it comes to the communication <laughs> department. Yeah. Count your blessings. I think, you know, my, my brother was able to tell me in, 
my brother's older than me, just a couple years older than me. And looking back and reflecting on patterns of behavior and responses that he used to have when, I mean, going all the way back to grade school, he said, and I thought this was so profound. I always thought about it because of having three boys that I think boys and words and feelings, that's not their natural bend most of the time. And my brother was able to say that in looking back, he realized in so many times where he would just go into violent mode of throwing things and pitching a fit like my middle child, my middle child's a lot like my brother, was because he was so frustrated in not being able to find the words to express what he was thinking or feeling or needing or wanting um, in that moment. And especially in an intense situation, if, if there was a conflict he would immediately go to anger mode, but it was because he couldn't find a way to express his feelings. And I thought that was really, um, it was really, in, in, it's a lot of wisdom that I wanted to hold on to to realize a lot of times the boys are struggling to figure out how to communicate. And if they're getting defensive and they're shutting down, sometimes it's because they don't know how to say what they're thinking or feeling. And I think in that moment, being able to discern that even in a, in your spouse or, you know, adults, I think sometimes we still just struggle to advance in our communication techniques. And, and that happens, our automatic shutdown, our, our frustration level. And I think the love response there, when you find somebody that is in a cycle of basically battling themselves in that, in that moment, not being able to say what they want or say what they need or say what they feel is to kind of give them time to think. I think they need extra time to think. I think they need to know that you have zero judgment on the fact that they need more time or, um, and I think it's important that if they have been able to express anything is that moment of being able to find one truth in what they're saying that you can agree with them on and that, that connection can create such a, a, a safe place that it helps them calm their frustration sometimes. I've been able to see that with, because of my brother and being able to, him being able to tell me his own situation and how it worked in his brain. And I see that working out in, in, in a very young age. I saw that working out in my middle child, like why he liked sign language. He felt like that was efficient until he was with somebody that didn't know sign language. And uh, and watching him come up, he's still now, I I asked him one time, you know, he was just struggling with something. And I said, well, what is it? What is it that's bothering you? And he said, I wish I could figure that out. And for him, it was that moment of just going that I don't know. I don't know what's bothering me. And of course, that frontal lobe is not completely formed. So we understand that that's the truth for him. He did something. He doesn't know why. He doesn't know why the struggle. Uh, I don't know. And that is the truth right there. And that's common in a lot of teenagers. They they might not know. This might sound cheesy, but in several of the trainings I've done recently, they suggest, and actually I need this myself, is to take a feeling wheel and look at it. And I actually use it myself a lot because I have a hard time figuring out my own feelings as an adult and having done a lot of 
personal work and trainings and recovery and stuff over the past, I don't know how many years, almost 20 years. It's hard sometimes to articulate those things. And I, I actually use that. We could link one in the show notes as well, because I think it's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've never coached somebody that didn't have a struggle finding the words that they, the the proper adjectives to describe their feelings. So when I coach somebody and it's always on Zoom, you know, we get on the call uh, and the first thing I want to know is where are you right now? Because that's going to we're going to have to work with where you are right now before we can work with any of the content that you want to discuss. And, you know, they've had a full day, they've had kids, they've had work, they've had all this stuff. So, uh, taking a temperature where they are, I always say, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how, you know, give me a grade on yourself, um, where you're feeling, where you are right now, and then give me two to three words that describe where, what you're feeling right now. And inevitably it would always be, good, bad, happy, sad is really basic. And I had one, one lady finally said, I don't know how to tell you what I'm feeling. I want to tell you it's, it's worse than bad, but it's not frustrated. I don't know what it is. And I said, I'm going to send you this emotion wheel. It literally has over 400 words to help you connect with what you're feeling. And I think once you label something, there's so much power in that in owning it and then understanding it and being able to f- figure out what you want to do with it. Um, but that emotion wheel is very powerful, being able to describe and understand and connect yourself with what you're thinking and feeling. It's very powerful. And that goes right along with what you you were saying, and we've, you've taught all along, is that um, you know the four basic needs that everybody has is love, acceptance, value and support or to not feel alone. And for anybody to accept us, we got to be able to tell them where we are (laughs) and to be able to get validated. I mean, we want validation in every conversation we have. I don't care if your love language is what it is. Words of affirmation are powerful. And I think we all have all the love languages. We just have two primaries and, and words are effective and, um, and we're looking for affirmation a lot of the times or validation. And because that's the moment where you feel like you've been heard, right? Um, and then when somebody can offer you validation, I know when I am, when I feel validated, that moment to feel heard is such a gift to me. It's, um, that's, and I'm usually pretty guarded. I'm, I'm, I'm very guarded. I kind of pride myself on never crying. So if you can make me cry, you've done something pretty good. And, uh, I mean, you've been able to get me to lower that, that exterior steel. Um, and I think in, in validating also it, it creates that connection, that connection that we're looking for, like, what you and I had talked about is like in a conversation, especially when you're trying to infuse love, there has to be a moment of decision between, am I, am I just going to fight or am I going to work for a connection? And it's the connection that we're looking for. That's going to be the moment where your conversation turns from a trial where you're stating each other's cases and you're coming at each other like two attorneys you know, being paid exorbitant amounts of money to win a case for your client, you know, and turn it from a trial 
to an opportunity to connect and and to be about each other. And that's hard because we've been working on these podcasts and I've had this these ideas in my head. I can I've been thinking about how can I communicate with more love, wisdom, dignity, impact, all these different ways. And so it comes up in funny little situations like we were driving this past weekend, we went out of town and I, I was driving because my husband has to work a lot on his phone. So that way he can be on his phone and I can just drive. And I don't even remember what I did, but you know, there's comments about my driving at times. <laughs> and my initial reaction is to get defensive and want to snap back and be like, well, if you don't like the way I'm driving, why don't you drive <laughs> and, uh, or whatever? And I, instead of saying that, I thought, all right, how, how can I respond in love in this situation? What, what does that even look like? And I wasn't really even sure. I, I was just, for whatever reason, right, because I'm doing this work, it kind of popped into my head. And it's funny because sometimes I'm like, I don't want to respond with love <laughs> in this situation. <laughs> but I'm also the one being challenged to learn this stuff right now. And I've got to put it into practice first. Uh, you know, that's the only way my family isn't just going to start putting into practice, communicating with love for no reason. You know, I, I'm the one kind of learning about this, being challenged with this. So I've got to start with me. And so how do I do that? And it was just funny, just little things that have been happening, little nitpicky conversations that we're having I'm like, okay, rather than get defensive, how can I respond with love? So the defense thing. So um, I found this blog that um, it's called Five Secrets of Effective Communication. No, the blog is actually called feelinggood.com. But what they teach and their focal point on there is five secrets of effective communication. And I... Um, We'll put this in the show notes, the link to the blog and everything. But the one part uh, that I wanted to bring in, not all five, but the one part I wanted to bring in is he talks about two things, the disarming technique and the law of opposites. So, and they actually used an example very similar to the driving one that you just talked about. And I have one that's similar too, that has to do with driving. Well, it kind of has to do with tracking my son's iPhone. But when he got, when he turned 18, he felt like that was an intrusion on his privacy for me to know everywhere he was going. And he, and we would argue about it. And I was like, it's not about me go, you know, like literally being obsessive about following you, but kind of is, I mean, I'm a mom, you know, after 10 o'clock, I'm going to start looking at where you are. But um, in the, in the arguments about it, and this is what I learned on this blog and the, and the blog has like a little podcast type thing where you can just listen to the whole blog and it's three psychologists. So they have a, a traditional psychological bend on how they teach, which is very interesting because they go into a lot more in-depth science about how we function and process and respond. And so they talk about the defensive mode. And I learned on there that the moment you get defensive, you're taking a fighting position. So you have to want, like exactly what you said, you have to want something different. You have to want 
the connection. And sometimes you're just not going to want it. There's going to be situations where you want to defend and you want to fight. But if you want something different, the, the decision to lay down the defense mode in, in exchange for the connection mode is what they were teaching on there. And so one of the examples they gave about the driving was like, you're looking for anything that you can agree on or affirm or, or validate or connect on. So in this scenario, the husband was driving and he was being really belligerent towards other drivers, just, you know, being complaining about the other drivers. It was putting a lot of tension in the car. The kids were getting tense and stressed out. And so the wife, instead of saying, would you please shut up? <laughs> Can you just be kind for a minute? Instead, she goes, oh my gosh, that driver really was being erratic. He could have caused an accident. And she met her husband where he was. And in that moment, it helped him because for him, the defenses just needed to go down and feeling like she was there with him. He didn't feel alone. He felt accepted he felt love in a really kind of weird way. There was a love there because she just went there with him. And so all the basic needs were met. And I, in a marriage to know that your spouse is on your side, I think that does show a love. She's not defending the bad driver. <laughs> She's standing with her husband. And I think that goes a long way. Right. And that's, you know, if there was anything that I would want in a moment of my driving rage, <laughs> it's not for somebody to criticize, but to just join me <laughs> in my crazy moment. And my crazy will pass faster. And that's kind of what they, they, they gave the indication that that's, that was the outcome. The crazy passes faster and all the, all the negative begins to fall because there's an element of love. That's presented there. That makes a lot of sense. And I think you might have said it earlier before we were recording, but, you know, maybe if I just said, and I don't remember what I did, you know, oops, I really did slam on the brakes a little hard. Sorry about that. Yeah, own it. You're not going to get judgment from me. My kids call me Mario Andretti. Well, then that takes us to really the one of the points that I was kind of wanting to wanting to talk about is vulnerability. Like becoming vulnerable, especially when somebody is being critical, is that's a that's a super tough technique um, of communication. And I think like we were talking about being vulnerable is something that you have to discern. You're not going to make yourself vulnerable when you you're not going to purposely expose yourself to an attack. So being vulnerable has to be discerned unless you are a super healed person and you're using something in that moment of, uh, in, in a vulnerable way that you're willing to take an attack. If that's the way that it goes, I'll give you an example. Um, so my, my friend Shannon, she was also, a one of my friends that played a pivotal role in leading me to Christ. And she was super wise and discerning. And she told me one time that she just kind of learned that she was willing to open up to somebody when they first showed vulnerability first. They they would have to take the step first. In her in that position she was talking about before she was healed on a lot of her wounds, that she would have to she would have to be led into the vulnerability 
place in a conversation by somebody else willing to either talk about something that was risky, could have been used against them, you know, something that's going to, uh, you know, it's like tax. I'm going to give you a little something about me. And that's risking you judging me. That's risking you even walking away from me right now. Or you're going to see that I'm not perfect. And, you know, I'm not going to judge you if you want to go deeper. And um, so I always just kind of remembered that as a, because I'm definitely somebody that puts up the guard uh, until I feel safe. I think most of us are, we're, we're going to stay guarded, especially by our age. I think, you know, when you're younger, you're going to trust too soon and that's going to teach you lessons in itself. But, um, I think by our age, we learn to wait and hesitate in a conversation with people that we don't know, or even in conversations with people that we are married to. I think we hesitate and wait to get vulnerable because there's that fear of rejection. Um, there's that fear of criticism, you know, an ang- uh, angry criticism is, um, that's like the hardest set of circumstances to try to be vulnerable in. And so one of the other things that they talk about on that blog was the disarming technique and the disarming technique as they defined it is when you can find truth in whatever the other person is saying, no matter how blatantly wrong, illogical, or exaggerated it is, if you can find one truth in what they're saying and you connect there and yeah, and it's, it creates a very disarming, um, lowering of the defenses, um, where it's not about a trial anymore. We're not going to state our cases. We're just going to create a safe space where I'm going to be real with you. It could go bad. It's risky. It's always risky. Um, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to be real with me. And they use this phrase that I love so much is that, um, Agreeing with the critic requires you to let your ego die. You have to be willing to let your ego die. And that really resonated with me. Like, that is, oh, wow. That's truly making it about the other person. Well, I like uh, one of the things from that blog you were talking about. Do you want to fight or do you want to connect? Mm-hmm. And I think to connect, we have to let that ego die instead of having that piece in us that just wants to win the argument. Absolutely. Because that's not always a win in the long run. Yeah. And it's, that's, I mean, that takes practice. You really do have to, he gives a great example and it was a real one on that blog about disarming. um, And it was a real thing that happened to him in a moment of understanding that the criticism he was receiving and he got defensive at first. um, But then over a course of time, he really mulled over it and realized there was truth in it. There was truth. I had a moment with um, my coach when I was, when she was coaching me and she recognized that I was just holding back a lot. I was holding back and I wasn't allowing the guard to come down, which meant there was just a, a huge limitation to how much we were going to be able to be productive in my head trash if I'm not willing to really let her see me. And so she recognized that in me and she shared with me, which was the moment that I realized coaching is so different than therapy because you're not going to have a psychologist or psychiatrist tell you their dirty secrets. That's not going to happen. But this coach told me something that 
was really, it was something that I, if I wanted to, I could use against her. It would, it would be devastating. And in that moment, I was so honored that she shared that with me. Everything in me just came crashing down. I was like, if she's willing to share that with me, that choice that she made, that place of, uh, of true regret, you know, and a blemish on her past, if you will, if she was willing to share that with me, I literally realized there was nothing I could say to her that would make her reject me because it was that powerful. Yeah. I mean, and it was risky because if I, if I wasn't ready to receive it and, and to have the outcome that she, she was hoping for, I mean, I could have pulled away. I could have rejected her. I could have said, well, you're just an immoral, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to let everybody know. There is that. Um, But I think that she was discerning enough to know that I really wanted to come clean with her. I really wanted to let down the guard. And she was willing to pay the price to give that to me. That makes me think, you said earlier, when you're really healed of something, you can take some criticism from others. It's hard to open up still in that vulnerable way. Maybe she was healed enough and knew who she was despite whatever it was in her past that she could take that risk Mm -hmm. and be okay with it Mm -hmm. and hopefully help you in the long run. And it kind of makes me think about the idea of loving difficult people to love or the unlovable. The only way they're going to change or have a different experience in life is if they're shown love that they don't deserve. <laughs> and that can be so impactful on other people. And it takes healed people who have been through difficult things to pour that love into other people going through those difficult times that don't, that have a hard time accepting that love or that are really unlovable people in that moment. And that, you know, sometimes that's our husbands, wives, kids, they may be in a really unlovable place in their life and we can treat them like they're unlovable or we can try to pour that love into them that they don't deserve. And, and that could be anybody, but, you know, I think that's where some of these like 12 step programs are so powerful. Broken people go in there and they receive love and acceptance for maybe the first time ever in their life. And they're with people who have been through that, um, that mess. When you connect with someone who's been through a mess like you, you begin to think, okay, I'm not alone. And you can open up a little bit more. Yeah. And the love comes while you're in the mess. Like Jesus chose to do what he did. Not once we got our crap together, he chose to do it while we were living in sin. And while we were consumed by sin and going into a, a, a moment of opportunity to show love to somebody in the biggest mess of what they could possibly imagine right there, that's, it's almost inconceivable. It's mind blowing and disarming. Oh my goodness. Yes. If they can receive it. You know, sometimes it takes multiple attempts, multiple attempts, multiple attempts for them to receive it. I mean, once, once a wound happens, once betrayal happens or deception, it's a cycle. And we, we really do have to make a decision 
to be the stopping point and not transferring it. You know, I mean, we're going to be the ones that get the finger on the road and we can Mm -hmm. either turn around and do the same thing or smile. And we're going to be the ones that get, you know, our, our kids are going to use us. My, my brother says that parents are um, the place where kids sharpen their teeth. And uh, that's, we don't have to give it back to them. I mean, sometimes we can just take it (laughs) and, uh, and then you put it somewhere else. That's, that's that overflow. Like if we can't overflow, if we're not bringing it to the place where it needs to stay and that's at the foot of the cross, like that's where, that's where we take all that negative and we can just take, I mean, I don't think that we need to take a beating. I am not advertising that somebody stay in a relationship that is completely toxic or abusive in any way. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that, um, love of self, it needs to be first and that safety isn't, is a thing. Um, but I think when, when, when it's a situation like words or especially from people that are not living in your house, like there's still a standard of um, respect that needs to come from people that live closely together, that everybody has to have the same vision of respect and honor and love. But when, when you're talking about conflict with a coworker or conflict with an, an extended family member that the lashing out can die on us. We can choose to let it die on us. And in that moment, give love back. When we talked about what is the important point we want to get across, communicating with love is a posturing of the heart to be about that person and to aim toward meeting them where they are and trying to understand what they need in that moment. And that is about the other person, but it's also about us too. Where am I and what do I need in this moment? What's best for me in handling this? And probably getting defensive and reactive is not best for me <laughs> and who I want to be. But what is the, is is it having a conversation? Is it taking a step back? You know, going back to um, wisdom that episode where we talked about, yeah, those sort of things, having wisdom, but, you know, kind of figuring that out. And then what is it that I want to communicate to the other person? Do I want to just communicate that I'm right and they're wrong? Or do I want to communicate love? And what does that look like? Truly, probably not you're wrong and I'm right. That could be true, but that's not always the way to articulate it in a loving way. Um, and I think it's it's really trying to do what's best for yourself and the other person. Like you said, it's not just being run over and sacrificing. And I, I have an example of where I really felt, you know, I had a lot of marriage struggles early on. And I spent a lot of time praying do I stay in this marriage or do I go? And God always made it very clear when I was willing to do whatever he asked, he made it very clear I was to stay. And I was like, all right, if I'm supposed to stay here, what am I supposed to do? Because I don't know. And he, my husband had a very different upbringing than I did. And he's, you know, I felt very called to love him unconditionally and to really try to love him where he was in the mess he was in. And that was not easy that was not natural. That was something I could only do through God's help. And I, I would do the wrong thing. And then this little voice in my head would be, remember, you're going to love him unconditionally. I'd be like, 
okay. But it really, that reminder would kind of change my anger into compassion. And I could see him as a hurting person rather than someone just trying to be difficult to me. And the more I could see him as a hurting person that needed to know what love was, because he didn't, he didn't get unconditional love growing up. Everything was conditional. I could have been a lot more difficult and stayed disconnected, or I could reach in and try to love. I think it's important to, um, to point out that when we're when we're doing podcasts about communicating with love and wisdom and impact and dignity, that we are sending this message, assuming that the people that are listening are, are just trying to improve what they have going on. But this is not a message for somebody that is, I mean, I'm just going back to the one thing that we just did mention is that, um, entering into a vulnerable state or choosing to connect or um, trying a disarming disarming technique or validating somebody that is full on unable to receive it and is being abusive and is being neglectful and is being downright attacking. This is not a message for that person, right? That this is a message for somebody that is wanting to improve a relationship that has um, safety involved, <laughs> that that they are not in harm's way. And I want to put that out there because sometimes it just, I know that there, there are a lot of women that just keep looking for the magic pill to save their marriage when there are times when God's going to call you away from it. And the love response there, and this is how I frame that, is when you're dealing with somebody that's abusive or um even an addict that is on the cycle that will not get off that uh that the loving thing to do is to allow the consequences of their actions happen because that is their only hope they have to be able to choose between life and what they have or death and losing everything that they have and and as long as they have access to all the comforts and as long as they have access to that source that they're able to let all their frustration out of, they're not going to change. None of us are. It's still part of the human experience is that they have to experience. And I think the loving thing to do, and I know this is a slight rabbit hole, but just thinking about, I don't want this message to get twisted up into somebody thinking that they need to stay put in a situation where they need to love from afar, right? Yes. And I will say that when I was struggling with, do I stay or go? I had a lot of really healthy support systems in place to help me. I had, I had support and wisdom that was, that would help me not tell me what to do, but help me process and think through what I needed to do and what I could do to be healthy mm -hmm. in the situation I was, or if I needed to remove myself, you know, I, I was open to what was best for me. And I think that's, that's a hard thing too. I really, you know, just say this real quick. I had to be willing to lose my marriage before it began to heal because that was a really big, I, I did not want to lose it. I'm sure you've struggled with this too, but I just felt like I didn't want to fail. Like I felt like that would be such a 
a horrible thing. And finally, God was like, no, you just got to let go. And I finally was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to be okay no matter what happens, whether this is the end and I move on with my girls and try to figure out what's next or we stay. But I can't, I can't stay where we are. And, but it was kind of once I let go of my idea of what I should do and being okay with whatever it is that happened, I began to heal (laughs) and I got put in the right place where I needed. And I'll look back and I can, I can see in hindsight that God, God brought me into a place where I needed to heal first because had my husband gotten healthy first, I might never have done it. I would have thought, well, that's all we needed. But I, I had so much um, that just wasn't as obvious, so much dysfunction. And so I, I added so much to the problems that I didn't see that I needed, I needed to get help with first. And that's very humbling because both of us would say he was the problem, (laughs) but, but I was a lot more of the problem than I knew, but it was just a different looking. It was a sneakier problem. That's a huge revelation. That's awesome. Well, we're coming up on our time. So why don't we recap the highlights of what communicating with love should have. Uh, I think, you know, in talking about the five love languages is we're going to start with first understanding your audience. Like who are you talking to and how do they receive love? And that's going to determine a good method to start with how to communicate with them. And then we talked about decide if you want to fight or connect. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to defend yourself, that's a fight mode. That's a fight position. But if you want to connect, you have to you have to lay down your case and lay down the desire to be right. Uh, and you can't do both. It's either fight or connect. Um, we talked about being vulnerable. And sometimes we have to take the first step there, but we need to do it wisely. Um, and we need to respect when somebody else is doing it. When we see somebody else uh, getting vulnerable with us, I think this is going to come up in dignity too um, in the next podcast, but vulnerability is risky, but it's rewarding. Um, And that leads right into disarming, the disarming technique of, you know, being able to listen, actively listen, connect, um, find that one truth that you can find in common, create a safe place, and then validating, validating the other person, making them feel heard. That is that is how you infuse love into a tough conversation. So what is your biggest takeaway here? My biggest takeaway is keeping in mind the disarming techniques. I, I really liked that as far as um, just trying to think about that one place where they're, where they're right or that one truth that we can connect on. I really think that goes a long way. And not, not having that immediate defense instead, like rather than defending disarm mm-hmm. and trying to kind of think that through. And I, I, I think that's really helpful if I can keep it in mind right? in the moment. <laughs> it definitely takes practice. I love what you said about love. It, it, rem- it, you know, this should be something that 
should be automatic for me, but I think that you brought it all into perspective when you were talking about how love is the most powerful thing in our universe and everything that we that we listen to and seek and watch and do it's it really is all for the purpose of trying to get to that point of feeling love which is part of that four basic needs that you keep talking about and i just love it so much is the love acceptance value and support and if Mm -hmm. love is the most powerful energy that we can put out into the universe we have to be willing to let the negative energy die on us and I just, I loved when you were talking about that. It just really made me go, okay, so it's, it's a positioning of remembering of how powerful love is. And we can choose to do that every day with everyone, anywhere. No, I, I love that. And I think it's, again, it starts with us. We've got to love ourselves first. Yep. If I don't love me well, I can't love you well. But this was a good good conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. Me too. Thank you. And so the next one will be our last one in the series. It's communicating with dignity. So until then, stay wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know what you liked and what your main takeaways were. We'd also love to know what topics you'd want to hear about on future episodes. To connect with us further on social media or to learn more about our services, click on the links in the show notes or email us at womenofwildpodcast at gmail.com. And if you know anyone that would benefit from hearing this episode, please share it. To continue the discussion about this episode, join us in our private Facebook group. The link will be in the show notes. Until next week. Stay wild.